This is the Yesu Communitas Podcast, a show devoted to Hmong American identity, theology, and mission. Thanks for joining this episode. Be sure to like today's show and subscribe to Yesu Communitas on iTunes. And now your hosts, Daniel, Myla, and George. So welcome back to Yesu Communitas. Uh, we are going to be discussing today uh, what it means or why it matters that uh, we discuss Hmong American identity and theology. And so we'll just jump right into it. Um, and I'm going to ask, uh, if you could be any white American pastor, who would you be and why? You <laughs> asked that question so serious, George. It's <laughs> <laughs> a pretty serious question. It's a serious question. <laughs> this is the real deal. <laughs> we could it be. We go from Hmong American identity to if you can be a white man or a white person. Yeah. <laughs> How ironic. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. A white American pastor. White American pastor. Because last, last episode we talked about Hmong American, or Hmong, Hmong pastors. Hmong pastors, yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Maya, what, you want to start? I mean, I would be Bill Johnson. <laughs> Hands down, I would be Bill Johnson if I could. <laughs> I mean, there's such a pool to pick from, but I mean, if I go off who I listen to, whose theology I like, who, yeah, I would I would pick Bill Johnson. And I also like it because I think primarily I like him because of his personality. He's not very showy. He's not like the type who it's like fire all the time. He's just got this very like calm, steady, almost boring personality. But then I think it gives me more room to listen to what he's actually saying. And so, yeah, Bill Johnson. Mm. <laughs> uh, okay. If I could be, man, Joey Osteen. No, not yeah. Joey Osteen. <laughs> took my answer. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this, the uh, I think the, the kind of uh, white American pastor that I appreciate, uh, I, I appreciate all of them. Like I love the big name pastors, Rick Warren, uh, mm-hmm. uh, probably the most influential uh, white American pastor in my life has been a guy named Bob Roberts Jr. who pastors a church in Fort Worth, Texas. I was on staff with him. Uh, last episode, I mentioned uh, John Piper. He's uh, been a big influence on my life. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, but if I could be, I don't know if I would want to be any one of them. Yeah. Uh, but if I could be in a um, uh, a church, I, I think you know, it's again, I, I'm cheating with my answer now. Um, I don't think there's a person that I'd want to be, but I'd like to be the white American pastor who's uh, living and pastoring in an in inner city, um, yeah, urban church. Uh, it doesn't have to be a big church. It doesn't have to be a um, a, a very influential church, uh, but he's there because he realizes, uh, not because he thinks he's going to make a huge difference in the lives of people. I hope he he would he would want that and, and would hope that, uh, but because he's convinced that um, this is a part of the way in which he's changing the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so I think there's something about a white American pastor who is in urban inner city, not because uh, he's a savior or not because he's a hero or he's bringing mm-hmm. better theology or he, you know, or he, or he's, he's even going to reach the neighborhood uh, with the gospel. But I think the willingness to be among those that are most different from them, I think uh, that's a very, you know, I'd like to be that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so be either that guy or Joe Osteen. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, yeah. Joe is definitely, uh, my number one pick is he's, he's made it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think, uh, as far as man, uh, white American pastors, 
I really enjoy uh, listening to Matt Chandler, mm-hmm. um, and I think Matt Chandler brings a weightiness to the things that he says, mm-hmm. um, and there's an urgency in a lot of his messages right. um, to to what it means to be a Christian, to what it means to to be following the Lord and and practically living those those pieces out, um, and and I think also just uh, his ability to to articulate. Um, that urgency uh, is something that a lot of communities need um, that most, you know, suburban communities don't get because um, we're more used to comfortable, mm-hmm. relaxed, you know, Sunday school teaching of this is doctrine mm-hmm. and like this is what it means to be in this church. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like an urgency and a push to go out and, and do things, um, really just wanting to um, bring that kind of feel back into the church of mm. like, this is important and this is weighty. We have to really strongly be considering these things. And if we're not, then we're missing out on, on what Christ is calling us to do. Right. Um, and I think he also just has a great platform to to be able to talk about very important things that are going on in society, going on in our, our country today. Um so I think if if I were in any position, I would like to be in Matt Chandler's position. Have you ever seen him live? Like he's no, super tall. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's like six five or six oh, six really? or something. But yeah. Oh, yeah. I never knew that. And uh, he's got huge hands. And <laughs> 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 you ever hear David Platt preach? I have. He sounds like he's in pain. Yeah. When he's preaching, <laughs> it makes it makes me feel in pain. Oh, or I feel like when I walk away, like. What? A little cringy. <laughs> yeah, a little cringy. Yeah. Oh. All right. Well, let's jump to the next question. And uh, I'd like to ask you guys what does it mean to be Hmong American to you? Hmm. That's a hard question. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, uh, I think it's one of those questions where, uh, you know, it, it, being Hmong American, you can have very, you can have a very technical, uh, you can have a very technical like definition. Like for instance, here's an example of a technical definition. Like a Hmong American could be somebody who you know has uh, you know a Hmong American ethnic uh, roots. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, parents were Hmong. You know, a social linguistic group, um, and they currently live in in America. You know, and let's throw in there. There's there's about 500 Hmong Canadians too. So let's mm-hmm. let's broaden this to. North American Hmong people, uh, Hmong Canadians, because shout out to all my Kitchener people and, <laughs> and the 12 people that live out in Vancouver. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I think one common strand um, that we see is uh, our, our experience with, uh, you know, our, our, our war would have been called the Secret War in Laos, but you know what happened mm-hmm. in Southeast Asia, Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And I think that regardless of what you... Um, uh, uh, say are the technical definitions of what it means to be Hmong. I think probably the predominant shaping experience that we've had recently that makes us Hmong American is that we were people who were, in a sense, Hmong Americans were birthed out of a war in mm-hmm. Laos, you know, a war in Southeast Asia. You can say the same thing for Lao Cambodians, Lao, or sorry, not Lao Cambodians, Lao Americans, uh, mm-hmm. Cambodian Americans, uh, some Vietnamese Americans. Um, that, that hybridity of Hmong and American, like, I think we're, we were birthed out of a war, um, and, uh, that very much shapes our experience. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think thinking about this question, it's it's hard. I think it's easier for me to define what it does not mean, you know, or like, it's like, I don't know I'm American until I go to like Thailand or Toronto and I'm like, oh, there are cultural differences that it's just intuitive to me that I realize it's not, it's it's a very American thing to do, right? And I think it's the same thing with Hmong people. Like growing up, I grew up in the Hmong community, so I didn't really realize what it meant to be Hmong. And then when I went to college and just recognize some of the nuances of what i did like the, the value of family yeah mm-hmm. there's a value of family in the western culture and other asian cultures but there's something about the value of family in the Hmong culture that's completely yeah. different right mm-hmm. and i think that like those were the things that helped me to find oh i'm very Hmong in the way that i like value community or i'm very Hmong in the way that i value reputation you know it's like very different yeah. and so i think it's easier when i'm thinking of what does it mean to me Hmong. it's well i'm not just this Western um, American, Asian American person. It's like there are things in my identity that's so woven into who we are and how we grew up that um, I didn't realize until I stepped outside of the community. So, yeah. It's weird. Uh, when I was in Minnesota back in June speaking at a conference and I went to Hmong Village. Yeah. And, uh, dang, there's such a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying. Hmong Village, Hmong Town. Hmong Town, Hmong Village, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the market, the the supermarket. I think I don't know. That's the same one that Andrew Zimmerman went to for. He uh, went to uh, Mong Town, which is off of Como. Okay, and then Mong Village is off of Johnson. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Phelan, I think. But I was walking through. You know, so there's that section. This is all oh, yeah. You know, uh, Twin Cities people. You know about this. So in Mong Village, this is like this. There's this hallway that's part of the office. Uh, where they have like a, I don't know, it's like a, I don't know, it's a dentist, but there's like, you know, a marketing, you could take your photo, like yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a hallway, it's more of the offices and businesses and some of that. Mm-hmm. And there is, it was pretty cool, it was like a, a, a gallery of uh, Hmong figures and Hmong leaders and stuff like that. Mm. And uh, none of whom I, I really knew, I, I knew Tumi Bifong and I knew, you know, um, or um, General Wing Pao and, and um one or two others, but I didn't know the vast majority of these people. And, um, I realized that, you know, I'm, I'm less Hmong than a lot of other people to a certain degree mm-hmm. because I have not had the same affinity towards Hmong leadership that some other communities do. And yeah. so I'm, I'm learning that about myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's, it's definitely, uh, been an interesting, uh, kind of identity to, to take up being Hmong American, um, being a second gen immigrant, um, where English became your first language because of school, mm-hmm. um, and, and Hmong became secondary, um, only because of home. But at the same time, my parents were, um, immigrants to the U S in their teens. And so their English is good enough to where they can still carry on conversations in English at home as well. And so there was never like, um, a strong need to only communicate in Hmong, uh, with, with my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so English and, and the American culture kind of really took its, its primary role in, in my identity. Um, and so it was always helpful that uh, I had mentioned in our last podcast that, um, my parents drilled into me that, that I'm Hmong no matter what. Mm -hmm. And so no matter how American I felt, how American I, I became that my, my identity itself is still as a Hmong man. Mm -hmm. And so it's, uh, it's kind of that understanding that I've come to to realize that um, to survive, 
for our culture to survive is what it means to be Hmong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just through the amount of uh, of oppression, the amount of wars, the the loss of of land, the loss of you know places that we can call home. Um, being Hmong in itself is kind of like home, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and you want to make sure that your home is taken care of. You want to make sure that um, your home is protected. And and as Hmong people, we've we've really held tightly to that. And so this fear of assimilation, this loss of culture, these things um, has really driven that Hmong identity for me in the sense that um, I'm still trying to hold on to very tightly the things that I can call Hmong. Mm -hmm. So the way I am hospitable to people, the way that I am um, able to share our food with people, the way that I'm able to um, just recognize that this experience is different for me because of, uh, you know, my parents' refugee experience. And um, all those pieces come come together to, like, me clenching my fist, holding tightly to everything about me that's Hmong, mm-hmm. um, when the reality is that American culture is, is surrounding me and mm-hmm. is pulling me out of my Hmongness to be able to interact with those around me. Yeah. So, oh, and just to add to that, I think it's important to embrace that tension and to realize that, like, I mean, there, I, I think it's kind of a myth to think that we can resolve that tension or should mm-hmm. resolve it. And yeah. I think that living in a country like America, uh, although it creates that tension, it's a tension that, like, I don't think other countries, uh, uh, you would have the luxury of having. Like, for instance, I mean, if you're if you become a Thai citizen, you're gonna have to change your name to. You can have to change your Hmong name to a Thai mm-hmm. Thai name, you know. Yeah. And so I think uh, America is probably one of one of the few places. Uh, uh, and there's some subtle distinctions between America and Canada. Uh, Canada's definitely a bit more. You know, preserve your culture. America is a bit more assimilate into yeah. a wider culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that tension that uh, that we live in as a, a hybrid, you know, American, uh, is one that we should uh, embrace. I think it's one that um, if we're too quick to resolve, I think we make things too simple that aren't really mm-hmm. that simple, and then we fail to empathize <clears throat> empathize with minority groups that are very you know that are struggling. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you if you get absorbed into kind of like Hmong American, Hmong pride, you know, kind of all that, um, and you feel like you're in a place of privilege, it's hard. You know, I, I'll be honest, it's really hard to empathize with poor Hispanic people. Yeah. You know, uh, the flip side is that if you're, you know, you only identify as minority and you, you identify as a victim and as a refugee and as an immigrant and somebody who's struggling all the time. Um, uh, you'll never see that you're strong enough to give to the larger culture, to mm-hmm. the wider culture. And so I think, you know, in some ways it's kind of a gift to be in this generation, our generation specifically where our parents were born, um, you know, in Laos mm-hmm. and we weren't, um, that we are a gap generation given this gift where we live in that tension. And if we can manage to use it as a platform and not as a reason to complain, uh, yeah. then actually, yeah. you know, we're going to be much better contributors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's uh, change topics just slightly and uh, let's talk about what theology is and what your understanding of theology is um, and how you view it. You want the seminary answer? Or? <laughs> yeah, Myla, you give us the seminary answer. The seminary answer. All right, this is what I'm paying, taking is, loans out yeah, for. All right. Exactly. Yeah. Theology, theos, Greek yeah. word for God. Yeah. <laughs> Logos, Greek word for 
word, yes. the study of God, the word, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That was a very expensive lesson. That I learned. <laughs> <laughs> you could tell me the other answer, though. <laughs> what, did, what were you, George, in, in seminar? Yeah, uh, I think my understanding of theology uh, has definitely widened as I'm here at seminary. I used to think that theology was was only within the realms of systematic theology. And mm-hmm. so when I thought about theology, I thought about, um, I think the first place most people go is free will versus predestination. And, you know, um, just an understanding of what it means to uh, know God and within these categories. Um, so I, I actually uh, was one of those individuals who was just like, I hate theology <laughs> because I didn't have a good understanding of what it was. Yep. But um, at that point, my, my understanding of it was it's, it's a way that Christians argue about things that they have strong feelings about, about understanding who God is. And right. so um, it, was, it was always a frustrating um, conversation to have. Um, but as, as I've come to understand theology better, um, and just understanding that it's how we experience God mm-hmm. and how we develop those experiences into practical ways that we, we live out our lives. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in a, in a very personal, uh, way we can continue to study theology, not just by reading what other people write, not just by sitting in through lectures, but in our own experience of daily practice of sitting with the word and and meditating on the word and our experiences of worshiping the Lord, um, whether that's by yourself or or in a community, you know. Um, and I think in my personal experience, being able to to do that in a number of different cultural contexts, mm-hmm. it's been amazing to really just develop my theology of understanding a like God's met this person who's who's completely different from me in a specific way. And when I get to hear their testimony of how God's meeting them, my theology continues to be formed. Mm. Um, and, and so for me, theology really develops when, when we understand how God's interacting in our lives and moving in our lives and then how we testify to that um, and, and how that reveals God to, to the rest of the world more and more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a sense of um, understanding academically that there's systematic theology, there's biblical theology, there's historical theology. Right. And you can get into those topics. But for me, um, I better interact with it when it's dealing with one-on-one or within communities mm-hmm. and seeing God work through people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I like that idea of that theology is shaped out of encountering God. And yeah. uh, it, it, that would, it sounds like, a lot like one of my professors uh Dr. Tianu at TED's, mm. where he, he talks about really theology is this idea that yeah it's it, it's birthed out of a people uh, discovering God it's it's birthed out of a relationship and you're in a sense you know your writings are essentially documenting what that relationship with God looks like and so and there's probably going to be a lot of commonalities uh, across different cultures because God is the same across different cultures but mm-hmm. the interaction with Him may look a little bit different based on the culture that you're in. And I think, I don't know if that's, you know, and especially in, in academic and reformed circles, I don't know if that's an acceptable answer, yeah. you know, for what theology is, because yeah. it's not very clean cut. But uh, there's a, Martin Martin Koller was a, um, uh, a German uh, theologian and missiologist, and he's the one that coined the phrase that uh, uh, mission is the mother of theology. And what he meant by that was that um, 
theology develops out of a a pioneering encounter with the gospel. And mm-hmm. so the gospel comes into a, a people group that have not heard the gospel before, or they don't have a church, or they don't have a, a theological understanding, biblical understanding of who God is. And mm-hmm. so the gospel comes into that culture, and it's a missionary uh, encounter. And so uh, the gospel comes in and begins to change the minds and the practices and the uh, the community, uh, and then their emerging understanding of God is a theology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, is there theology going into them? You know, yeah, there is theology going into them. Uh, but that's not the only theology. You know, there's yeah. a theology that comes from their understanding and their embrace of, uh, and their formation around the gospel and around the person of Jesus mm. um, that uh, uh, is also a part of theology. And so that to me is a very richer uh, dynamic understanding of theology, um, which um, I think uh, in seminary, oftentimes, uh, not that you couldn't have that definition, but I know that that particular definition is considered a bit more second class yeah. to what we would call typically classical theology, mm-hmm. which this is probably way too much information for this conversation, but <laughs> in, in classical theology, it's much more philosophically based. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because the first century church was birthed out of a Greek uh, Hellenistic world where they loved th- uh, philosophy. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Socrates, Aristotle, Plato. Um, and so the first uh, uh, fathers of the church, St. Clemens and, you know, somebody, and eventually St. Augustine, uh, a lot of the African fathers of the church, they were interacting with the Greek system, which is primarily philosophical, which was a lot different from the, the Jewish system, which was much more culture-based. It was much more mm-hmm. around uh, rules of living, yeah. you know, um, obviously the Old Testament, right? We, we have like the first five books devoted to how do you live a life? Yeah. Uh, what does a good life look like? Um, whereas the Greek system was a little bit more philosophical than that, you know? Uh, and so the early system of theology, which eventually became what we consider classical theology, which is what's taught in seminary, is based out of that, you know? Which is not wrong, not bad, because I mean that's the world that the New Testament was written in. And so right. when you read the book of John and you read Paul's letters, you can see that it's interacting deeply with philosophical questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think somewhere along the way, that became the predominant understanding of theology. When actually, if you look at the formation of early First Testament theology, again, same, it was the same narrative. The there's a missionary encounter with a people, mm-hmm. and out of that people arose a system of theology. Um, so that pattern, I think, is very important and very relevant to us, especially as Hmong people, where we, we identified in, in the last episode that we're only 67 years into this yeah. thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So. Um, that just reminds me, I was doing homework last night, and um, I'm reading this book called um, Moving Beyond the Bible to Theology. And I think the title itself is interesting, like, Theology is beyond just the word itself. Um, and I'm going to butcher this quote, but the author... And you're going to sound heretical, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Van Hooser, he says, um, he says, good theology is not expanding the library of the church, hmm. but it's moving people from cognition to action. Mm, and that really good. stuck yeah. out to me. His entire book was, you can have really good theology, but if you're not acting on it, if we're not seeing people move, we're not seeing people take action, mm-hmm. if we're not seeing missionaries sent forth from understanding and having good biblical interpretation, like the premise of the book is, what's the point? You know. And yeah. so I think there is an aspect of action that is necessary for, for us to 
live biblically. So, yeah. You know, he teaches at Trinity. Really? Our school, not your yeah. school. Yeah. Oh, man, I should have gone to Trinity. Should have. It's cheaper. Wheaton <laughs> students read books written by Trinity people. Yeah. <laughs> what do you guys read? <laughs> the Bible. We, we, we just only read, Bible. read yeah. books that God wrote. We just, we just spend time in God's presence. <laughs> and we write things for people Trinity like you to read. Trinity is where all the nerds are. It's true. <laughs> all right. So we've 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 talked about uh, what it means to be Hmong American, and we've talked about what it means uh, to understand theology, and 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 I think that's a great segue hmm. um, to some other conversations, um, Milo. What what you just shared. Um, so as we as we continue through this conversation, what is it? Uh, what does it look like, and why is it so important that Hmong uh, theology is developed? Hmm. I, I think part of it is, um, <clears throat> uh, I mean, a couple of things come to mind, but uh, the first thing that comes to mind is stewardship. I think that's just a, uh, it's a part, it's, it's our responsibility, uh, at this point in juncture, uh, you know, again, thinking that we're, you know, very new 67 years into this, but we're also not a new church, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I would think it would be problematic for my kids if they were uh, 67 years old or the equivalent of 67 years old, you know, an adult. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, they, aren't to fo- they aren't able to form their own thoughts and philosophy about life. Uh, and, um, and they aren't able to build their own culture and design, you know. And I think the church is mature enough where it has been able to organize itself, um, the Hmong, Hmong church, uh, specifically the Hmong American church, but the Hmong church in general. Mm-hmm. I think we've mature enough to where we can organize ourselves. Uh, we can um, uh, send people on mission. Um, I don't know if we've gotten to the point yet where we are uh, a contributing resource uh, to the larger body of Christ in terms of unpacking more of who God is. Uh, at least we're not at the point where we're able to tell that story for ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of other people have been able to tell the Hmong story on our behalf. Yeah. Uh, we're starting to, you know, I, we were talking about your great grandfather in the last episode. And this, this is the first time that I think I saw a Hmong person tell the Hmong story. So when Sibu, um, Sibu Tse Teng, uh, Sibu Teng Va, who sounds like Splinter from the Chinese <laughs> He, he talks like this, <laughs> and he was talking about you know he was talking about your grandfather, and he he made this he made this quote uh, in that video. Uh, this it was made by the Christian Missionary Alliance uh, talking about uh, I think I think at the time it was like fifty years or something like that that yeah. people had gotten received the gospel from the Andronovs, and he made the statement that you know we have come full circle. <laughs> that was yeah. that was kind of his and mm-hmm. the the reason you know the idea behind that statement was that uh, because we're at a point now where we're sending missionaries um, overseas, yeah. Uh, and I think you know I, I don't disagree with that, uh, but you know there's this idea of self theologizing as well, and uh, which we have been able to do as Hmong people. You know, mm-hmm. we've been able to adapt like rituals, uh, you know, marriage ceremonies, those very practical things um, that I think are very important. We developed a Hmong Bible. You know, we're developing, you know, some kind of curriculum discipleship, you know, type things. Yeah. Um, and I think those are all good signs that we're developing um, a kind of a mature um, uh, 
thought leadership. Um, but I don't know if we are thoroughly asking some other questions about mm-hmm. the Hmong American experience, about the the um, the role that we play in the broader global church, yeah. um, the role that we play in other non-Hmong people's lives. Um, I don't think yeah. we're asking some of those questions that I think are just as theological as, you know, do you marry Christian or non-Christian? You know, some of those mm-hmm. things that I think we typically in the Hmong church we've been asking for the last 30, 40 years. Um, and so I think there's it's important for us to do that because the reality is that we're not going to get back to this uh, tribal, mountainous, village version of being Hmong. Yeah. Like, that's not who we are anymore. Yeah. We are urban, globalized people. Mm-hmm. And so we need to ad- adapt our thinking and our, our theology to that. So those some some of my thoughts. Yeah, uh, I think as we as we look at uh, the merging of of being Hmong American and theology, um, taking from our experiences uh, over the last sixty seven years, um, and, and really if if we're looking at being Hmong American just over the last forty years, of of what it's looked like. So historically, what it's looked like for the church to continue to grow, um, for the church to continue to uh, develop itself to where we are now of um like it, it it's always it's always interesting to think like the issues that we're facing now like even the white evangelical church has faced like 80 years ago mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and so we're kind of going through these phases as well and i think we're at a crucial point in um in our in our understanding of who we are as as the body of christ um the, the Hmong body of Christ uh, to to really begin answering those more difficult questions um, and and really understanding better what it means to um, be mission to and then what it means to to mission um, and be on mission and so um, I really like a lot of the points that you brought up um, I think as we continue to to discuss these pieces we can really understand better what it looks like for us now to um, to not just stop at saying we've been missioned to. Um, I think I, I brought up in our last podcast just how humbling it is to to know that God has seen us mm-hmm. and that God has called us to be his. Um, and and there are still tons of, of Hmong people who, who need to be reached. And I think the church has done a good job of, of making that a priority. Mm-hmm. But I think... Um, where where we can continue to step forward is understanding that we're not the end of that mission yeah. that we're called to continue on and go go further out into the world and mm-hmm. and continue to to develop that mission to um mission to to other people groups um and and the importance then of of theology is understanding what our context looks like and what what that theology looks like from our context and how that's going to play into how we mission to to other people groups Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so even as as we i I personally look at what it looks like to to plant a church um and and my my culture being Hmong, what does that look like when when Hmong um culture is the host culture in a church plant Mm. you know those are some of the implications of practical theology being played out like what is it going to look like for me to be a Hmong pastor, but to mission to Somalians in, mm-hmm. in Minneapolis, to, to mission to, um, you know, Hispanics and, um, and white people mm-hmm. in, in, mm-hmm. in that area. And so as we continue to develop this conversation, um, 
I, I think those are some some important things to yeah. continue to think about. Yeah. I, and I think just to add that, like, I think for me, there was a part of me that I knew God God cared. There was this thought in my mind of God cares that I'm a Christian. I don't really think God cares that I'm Hmong or like there's mm. not a sense mm. of purpose behind yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. And so I remember the first moment where it hit me that God cared was my freshman year. We had a missions conference. Pastor Bob Roberts Jr. was there and we have all these flags in our church and he was like, who's from Korea? Like, who's from Japan? Like, who's from Africa? Like, whatever. And then I was sitting in the crowd like, Hmong people, because we didn't have a flag, you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember he heard me and then he said, did you ever think that Hmong people didn't have a country because they were made to be missionaries? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it was the first time in my life where I I sensed, um, I had a sense of pride in being Hmong in that moment because I realized the Hmong people had a purpose in our in being being Christians and being believers, you know. And so yeah. I never connected being Christian being Hmong together because I didn't think God cared about Hmong people, like yeah. mm. you know. And so I think it's important for us to have a sense of pride of oh, I'm Hmong, and that actually contributes to my theology of yeah. being a Christian. And it's a that's a perfect example of a theological answer to uh, a very practical question you know why don't Hmong people have a country mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that we're never not going to have one although i don't think we will <laughs> uh, at least you know so, sorry guys according to recent attempts in the last few years uh, it doesn't, TV. doesn't look like it's gonna happen uh, 1.7 million raised by that one guy is i can't not believe enough he to, did it yeah you know um but that's a theological answer to a very practical question why don't we have a country well i mean you know again this is kind of a little bit presumptuous but there's some biblical evidence and there's some ways in which you can kind of reimagine the Hmong story. Mm-hmm. And part of this is that yeah, regardless of whether or not this is God's sovereign purposes, the reality is that we do, we are much more adaptive than those people who don't have mm-hmm. home countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're always adapting. And it's part of the reason why, I think we had this discussion the other day, Milan, part of the reason why when we came to the United States uh, alongside other Southeast Asians, and again, it's not bragging, not being prideful, it's just it's the reality that we were the among the, the first Southeast Asians to get better education, to have higher incomes. You know, we have more PhDs than um, most other Southeast Asians. And so I think a part of that is because we just have this adaptability that we've always mm-hmm. had to yeah. to live out of. And that's a, that's a gift from God to the Hmong people. And I think that's a very theological... Um, uh, that's just as important as ideas of election and predestination and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, Milo, I, I, I want to ask you a question then. As a Hmong woman, um, who are your role models when it comes to, to theology and spiritual formation? Um, <laughs> I don't know if any of them are Hmong or women. <laughs> Is that sad? <laughs> I don't know. No. I, I mean, as we were talking even last podcast or this one, like the ones that come to mind are white male American guys who've shaped mm. kind of my theology and mm-hmm. spiritual formation. Um, I guess that's telling in the answer itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I think the one woman that I could think of, she's not even, she's influential in the researcher field. You guys know Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she's known for her TED Talk, The Power of Vulnerability. She didn't become a Christian until after that research, but in terms of spiritual formation and understanding like the soul and stuff, um, I would say she's pretty influential in kind of how I think about things. But 
Mm, not a lot of women. I don't. I can't name any that I would say I model after or they're inspiring to me. I think a lot of them are male white Americans. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I think I mean there's an increasing, growing number of uh, women uh, theologians and writers, and I think um, you know that that aren't just speakers like you know Joyce Meyer and and Beth Moore, but they're actually engaging in. In real, uh, don't hear me say that Joyce Myers and Beth Moore aren't doing real uh, theology, but you know th- that's much more preaching oriented kind of uh, thing, and not so much uh, uh, thought leadership and in, in, in developing theology. That that is happening. You know, you're right though. It is telling that um, at least at least one generation into it, maybe it's too early, but one generation into it, uh, uh, neither male or female in the Hmong or Southeast Asian community, because I want to make sure that we are always including. Um, those who have a similar experience to us, uh, mm-hmm. Cambodians and, and Lao and, and Vietnamese and, and others, uh, that uh, we still don't have uh, those voices. Yeah. And it's yeah. important for us to say, okay, we, we want to provide those voices. Um, because I think that if we get to a point where uh, we uh, don't sense that responsibility and that urgency, um, then the, the stories will get lost. That's just number one, uh, stories will get lost. But number two, the richness of who God is, uh, won't get told uh, Mm -hmm. through our lens. You know, it Mm -hmm. won't get like the glory that, that manifests through Hmong and Southeast Asians and, uh, those who have similar experience to us. Uh, that doesn't get highlighted. Uh, God's glory doesn't shine if we don't capture and tell these stories and, uh, and explore it a bit. And so um, I think what you're saying, Myla, is correct, that it's telling that we don't have role models. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hope that that fact will inspire us to be role yeah, models. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> so then uh, let's move on and and kind of discuss kind of the practicality or um, just an understanding of what this actually means, um, especially to uh, non-Christian Hmong people that that we're, you know, we're having these conversations around being Hmong American um, and, and theology. Why why would this matter to, mm. to non-Hmong people or non-Christian Hmong people? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> a part of me feels, uh, suspects that non-Christian Hmong Americans have a better grasp of what it means to be Hmong American than Christians do. Yeah, mm. for sure. Um I think they have a better grasp on uh, definitely the Hmong side uh, for whatever reason, you know, culture, rituals, New Year, language, uh, kind of that. Now, some of it is nostalgic. And what I mean by that is that because uh, that'll never be prominent the way that it used to be back in Laos and, you know, home countries and stuff like that. So a lot of that is they're, they're holding on to something a bit more nostalgic. You know, it's kind of a museum version of Hmong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's okay. But to a large degree, that makes them more Hmong than I think a lot of uh, those of us who grew up in the church. Um, and I don't know if they're necessarily more Americanized. Sometimes I find that, you know, church Christians are a little bit more kind of Western than some who are. But that, I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to see that, you know, I mean, if you go to Minnesota, like that's definitely not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where I think that uh, non-Christians have kind of a, a leg up on Hmongs uh, because although, uh, or n- not Hmong, but Hmong Christians, although Hmong Christians have been able to do things like build 
denominations and, and buildings and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, the, the non-Christians are the ones that are engaged, engaged civically yeah. in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, yeah. they're dealing with kind of more relevant issues. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily more important issues, but definitely more relevant issues to the broader culture, mainstream culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, they, uh, uh, have done a better job at doing mass communication. Like my dad's always watching YouTube, uh, <laughs> about Hmong, you know, uh, uh, so they're, they're able to kind of leverage some of these technologies to kind of, um, preserve and to reinvent Hmong culture in America. So I think non-Christians are doing a lot better job of that. A part of me feels like the reason why it's relevant for us to develop theological systems around, or not theological systems, but theological answers around what it means to be Hmong American, because I think at the end of the day, the best answer that um, uh, non-Christians can give to, you know, the struggle of why do we experience what we've experienced is that um, uh, we have to, we have to try harder because our parents sacrifice so much, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's a very dignified, noble purpose for living yeah you know um and i think is a to some to some extent it can be a very satisfying answer but i think my understanding and from you know my relationship with god and understanding of the bible is that i I know that's not the ultimate answer you know and so i think if we fail to do uh theology in our context um then we're allowing our non-Christian brothers and sisters to live a subpar narrative mm-hmm. that we know there's a there's a there's a richer narrative out there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I think um, you know, growing up uh, with a call to to ministry at the age of eleven, twelve, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and trying to minister, you know, to junior hires and high schoolers. Um, while being their peers, um, it's it's been interesting to to try to interact in those conversations, especially when the conversation typically ends with you're throwing away your culture. Yeah. When you when you choose to to become a Christian, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and and I think we're we're now at a stage um, in in our history of being in an American um, or being in America that the religion part really doesn't matter as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I've noticed a shift in in understanding that religion is tied to, to culture, mm-hmm. um, to religion is there because my uncle or my aunt is a shaman in the family, mm-hmm. and but I don't necessarily understand the, all of it. Um, and, and I do it because my parents want me to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that kind of shift then is pushing um, non-Christian Hmong people into trying to fill that void of, like, religion is no longer a part of my identity. Um, and, and so how do I fill that void with who I am as a yeah. Hmong American? Um, and so that's it's been an interesting shift in conversation um, because I, I know now that, you know, in conversations with... Um, non-Christian Hmong people, um, it's not so much a part of throwing away culture anymore, but it's it's a part of that doesn't fit my lifestyle anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that shift in conversation, I think when we, as you were saying earlier, um, are able to show them a, a richer narrative, mm-hmm. um, they, they understand that um, v- practicing a religion 
isn't necessarily um, just something that their identity is tied to, but it's something that that forms the way that they live their lives, and it's something that um, is a void that that can't be filled simply by changing your culture. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's something that needs to be addressed in a way that that can be fulfilled. Um, and and for us, that answer is Christ. And and as we step into those conversations with non Christians, um, we just it, it's eye opening to see you know where they're at. Yeah. And so developing those kinds of relationships um, with non-Christians, I think, is going to be crucial in this next stage of what it means to be Hmong American um, because they're now going to be searching for something to fill that void. Yeah. Yeah, and you think of the alternatives are either going to be, you know, they'll do what, you know, other Americans do, which is either tend to materialism as their kind of ultimate goal. Or they'll go back into some kind of secular, kind of atheistic kind of thinking, which I think you know, is still happening. But the realization most people who are have taken that to the logical extent is they realize that there is no real moral. It's morally bankrupt. Like you don't have a, a leg to stand on in terms of thinking about you know how to live and those kinds of things. Uh, or they'll jump into some other version of religion, right? And mm-hmm. So I mean, those are the different alternatives. And so uh, I think we need to ask ourselves if we don't have. Uh, if we're not working to, to, to help create a better narrative for Hmong Americans, uh, um, according to what God's purposes are, uh, then they're going to tend to these other alternatives, uh, which, you know, are, are going to fail them. I guess it's going to fail them, you know? Yeah. All right. Um, so we're coming to the end of this podcast. Um, and I guess what, what we can close out on is, what will happen to the Hmong American church if we don't take these matters seriously, if we don't Hmm. step into these conversations with intentionality? You want to say something, Myla? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I was processing my thoughts. <laughs> I'm, well, a very, I'm an internal processor to the core. Note to self, edit, <laughs> awkward silence. Um, yeah, I mean, so I think we're kind of faced with this danger of if we continue being the Hmong church that we are now, the, the type that probably all of us grew up in, that our parents are probably elders of, whatever, um, one, we're going to be irrelevant to the world, right? It's going to be this hub of Hmong people who do their own thing and only reach out to the Hmong people, which in a sense it's good. But I think in the trajectory of where we're going and how we're living, um, we can't afford to stay Hmong as a church to an extent. I think you guys could probably argue against that or not, but I think it, there's a need to be relevant to the culture around us. If we Mm -hmm. really want to be missional and integrate ourselves to the city and the people around us. Um, Or secondly, It'll go the other way where we completely lose our Hmongness. Um, you'll see us leave the Hmong church and people not really know who they are and never have that as part of their identity. We'll go to multicultural church and I'm just a Christian. That's it. I'm not Hmong. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of what I mm-hmm. talked about earlier. I'm not Hmong, a Hmong American Christian. I'm just a Christian who so happened to be born out of a Hmong family. And so there's nothing where I feel like I have to offer culturally that would actually contribute to the church so i think it could go one way or the other yeah um maybe uh the best way to to convey what i feel 
rather than directly answering this question, I'll tell a story uh, to end it. And uh, a couple of years ago, I was invited to speak at the Hmong American, um, uh, uh, oh, what's it called? Uh, HND, right? HND, Hmong <laughs> National Development Conference. Uh, mm -hmm. So I was asked to lead a workshop. Um, and this year it happened to be in Minneapolis, downtown Minneapolis. And so um, I was excited to go there uh, because, you know, uh, obviously it's Minneapolis, a lot of Hmong people. Um, and I had been slowly engaging uh, HND uh, through a couple of different relationships and helping them consult, like help consult for the Detroit one a couple of years before that. And so I was excited to be there. Uh, and um, so I got there and decided to stay with some Christian friends. And um, uh, if they're listening, I hope they don't think I'm throwing them under the bus. But <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking, hey, we'll all go together. Uh, they they didn't they didn't uh, intend to go to the conference, which was okay. I kind of thought it was a missed opportunity. Uh, you know, um, huge Hmong people coming to Hmong population coming to your city. Great opportunity for the church to at least you know hand out bottles or do something volunteer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and to, to be fair, there were Christians there and uh, and and such, but. Uh, so I did uh, my presentation, um, and uh, it was probably a room full, 150, 200 people. And afterwards, man, just had a lot of non-Christians come bombard me. I talked about uh, the orphan spirit of Hmong people, and 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 um, just kind of how we deal with that. And mm. and and so, um, so had tons of questions, and just you know, sharing the gospel with people. Literally, it was just like people asking me to share the gospel with them. And so I had that chance, and. Um, I remember, uh, you know, late later that night, uh, we were at the bar, uh, people were drinking, and I wasn't drinking, uh, mm -hmm. and again, continuing these conversations with uh, with one of the um, activists in, in, in Minneapolis, and so I was just so jazzed because I was thinking, man, okay, man, Hmong non-Christian people are, are hungry to, to understand a better narrative about who we are, yeah. and um, so I <laughs> went back to my host home. And uh, I was so excited to, you know, there's so much energy uh, out of that time at that conference. And, and the other things that were happening at the conference were pretty incredible, too. Yeah. Um, uh, things that other people were talking about and some of the subject, uh, subjects being raised. So I was eager to get back and have a conversation with, uh, you know, my Christian friends who, uh, for a lot of them were leaders in their church and influential and kind of our denomination and stuff like that. Um, it's going to sound terrible like I'm throwing them underneath the bus, but I'm just trying to describe a feeling more than I am indicting anybody. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but I, but I got to the house and the house was filled with, uh, uh, young adults, uh, and they were playing Pokemon cards. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I just remember walking to the environment. I was like, man, I was like, we don't have a chance. <laughs> oh, God. It's like, I was like, we, we don't have a chance, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I tell that story, uh, again, definitely not to indict any of my friends or, or anybody for that <laughs> matter. Um, but I tell that story because um, there's uh, there's a group of hungry people, you know, that are they're looking for purpose and reason and narrative. And they're organizing around certain things that I think will help them at least get beyond next week. Okay. Yeah. It's going to give them enough purpose to get on next week. Okay. Um and here we are where we we believe we have the claims to the purpose of life and the mm -hmm. meaning of life. Um, and so oftentimes we're just found playing Pokemon cards or, <laughs> you know, planning worship services or, you know, pick your religious activity. Again, stuff mm -hmm. that aren't bad in themselves, but I just there's a huge disconnect there. 
And um, so going back to your question, what's what's the future of the Hmong American church? And I, you know, I, it, it's a very heavy heart to say there isn't much of a future of the Hmong American church mm-hmm. if we don't act today, if we don't really take seriously this idea of uh, going beyond ourselves, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe in the next few episodes we can talk about what that looks like. But um, if I had to be really honest, of course, Jesus is going to preserve the Hmong church. Of course, we're going to, you know, we're going to give birth to something that's going to look different. Uh, but if I, I think if we don't take seriously projects like this, not Yesu Kimikas podcast, like not that, but the project <laughs> of going beyond ourselves, I don't know if there's going to be much of a future Hmong church to think about. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for your thoughts. Uh, for those of you who are listening, um, I hope you uh, have been able to to think more deeply on these topics. Um, please look out for our next podcast. Uh, We'll be talking about reimagining the Hmong American narrative through Jesus. And so hopefully you guys are um, looking forward to that. I know we are. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's close out in some prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, just have these kinds of conversations. And I just ask God that you would continue to uh, give us wisdom and discernment as we uh, journey through this process, Lord, Mm -hmm. of what it looks like to come around circle and... um, and, and understand who you are through the way that you've uh, interacted with the Hmong culture. And so, Lord God, would you uh, continue to soften our hearts mm-hmm. to listen to your spirit? Uh, would you continue to give us guidance in uh, having these conversations, uh, whether they're difficult or um, whether they're uh, just heavy on our hearts? Lord God, would you just give us opportunity and space Mm -hmm. to continue these conversations. And so we lift uh, all these things up to you and we pray this in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, this is Daniel. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. Myla, George, and myself will be back again with another discussion about Hmong American identity, theology, and mission. Uh, But can you do us a favor? Can you share the Yesu Communitas podcast with your friends? And then also remember to like today's show, uh, share it out on Facebook, and then subscribe to Yesu Communitas on iTunes. All right. See you in the next episode.